Hi, I'm Sean, and welcome to episode five of the Love to Own Your Business podcast. Here we learn how to grow businesses we love to own. Each month, we share great advice on how to do that, and also on how to avoid the pitfalls that make us love our business not so much. In a quickly growing world of freelancers, solopreneurs, independent contractors, consultants, gig workers, side hustlers, and dare I say, influencers, how do we make sure we're running a profitable business and not a paid hobby? As the saying goes, you can't manage what you're not measuring, but there's no reason to drown in a sea of data. So what's important to my business? How can that data be clearly communicated? How do we develop systems that keep everything up to date? Our guest today can help. Among all the titles I mentioned already, Barbara Oseski is a data strategist who can speak to both growing a successful consulting business and how to measure and communicate the important numbers for your business. So hi, Barb. Welcome. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's, let's start by telling us about Blue Designs and why you started it. All right. So I actually started Blue Designs in 2013 when I decided to put down roots in New York State. And it was really just this formalization of the freelancing that I'd been doing since 2005. And I hadn't sought out freelancing. I was finishing up my doctorate when someone came to me and was like, we can't find a vendor to do this small thing. Will you do it for us? And I sort of entered this space where, yes, you have this need for all these big systems, but there's a lot of little things that people need too. And these were things that people weren't necessarily thinking of as part of their data processes. They didn't need a big system and they didn't need some industry innovation. They really just needed these incremental changes and these small tweaks to how they were doing things. With stuff like fillable forms to make sure that they could get all of the information that they needed in the format they needed forecasting tools to figure out FTE staffing coverage, and repackaging data so that they could take it to meetings in a way that upper management could understand. A lot of that was automating tools to actually flood things into PowerPoint or other report templates in this automated click of a button way. I stuck with it because I really enjoyed the diversity of the projects, and I enjoyed being able to walk in as a catalyst to people that were stressed, and always feeling like they had to catch up. And, you know, just in this horrible space of like, you know, oh, and now I'm a month behind on this other thing. We could make that small change. And now they could get on top of those projects and actually have that time to think and plan. Over time, I developed my services and expanded those to also include things like workshops. And I expanded from Fortune 500s to also serve small businesses and other solopreneurs. It's really funny you talk about stress, right? Because many of my clients, right? We, I deal with data and financial data, and I'm sure many of yours, data is a very stressful and scary thing. How do you speak to that? And how do you help people de-stress that? And how do you sort of manage their stresses about data? Numbers and data are a scary thing, but it's not because of the math and it's not even really because of the data per se. Part of what happens when you start tracking things and you start tracking your return of investment is you're faced with these numbers that are telling you that you're not 100% on track with what you should be doing, and you're going to have to change. And change sucks, okay. right? And you also end up in this space where you're looking at your data and you're looking at your numbers and you're thinking, you know, well, I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean to me, or I'm not sure if I got the right number or the right data. Then that's a trust issue. And I think it's legitimate to have that trust issue because anytime you have a whole bunch of humans making a system, 
you're going to end up with this imperfect system. It's one of the reasons that I like to talk about data as clues and not facts. And it's also another reason that I like to incorporate different types of data. So not just number data, but also things like your text-based data and other things to help you give that better context and that nuance because you're using it as clues in your decision-making. Your data is an imperfect support system, not this all-knowing dictator. You can sort of get ahead of that if you know that all the people that touch your data and work with your data have had the proper training. If you're working from graphs, Everyone that's working with those graphs knows how to read those graphs. And everyone knows how to interpret your data and what your data means and what it actually is supposed to mean. That gets you into that space where even though you're working with clues and not facts, you're also not weaving fairy tales about how your business is doing or you know where we should go next. I love the use of the word clues, right? You're starting off with the one thing and then all of a sudden leads you into asking the right questions about other things, right? That's a great, great word to uh, sort of defuse and de-escalate. Let's let's look for blues clues, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Many of the the standard business growth metrics rely heavily on factors like numbers of employees. Why have you remained a solopreneur and how does that change how you assess growth. I'll start with why I stayed a solopreneur and then work on how growth assessments work because of that. I fell into this niche where I get to work with these small projects. And I think if I took on employees, I would feel compelled to take on those bigger paying larger projects because I'd also now be responsible for the livelihoods of other people and all of the overhead that that incurs. Making that step would sort of change my niche. I'm not interested in doing that. But as you've said, a lot of that business support system that's available and a lot of those funding opportunities are tied to number of employees and the number of facilities you have. There's a stigma that can kind of go along with staying a solopreneur year after year where people perceive you as having something wrong with your business because you're not growing in the right way in the right amount of time. So if you've decided to stay as a solopreneur for whatever reason, where you're actually really committed to that niche and that way of working with other people, you shift that mindset and you forget what all those people are saying. You've got to start thinking about growing your profits and your profit margins without actually increasing time spent. You have to still spend time on your business and time in your business without that being a trade-off where you're choosing one or the other because they're both so time-consuming. Every business is going to be a little bit different, but maybe that means that what you need to do is automate or outsource some of that busy work. Then you start looking at things like passive funnels or ways that you can create funnels that get you in front of a group instead of booking a whole series of one-on-ones in case, well, unless, I guess I'll say, those one-on-ones are paying you really, really well. You know, and then you really fine tune all of your metrics that track the return of investment on the time that you're spending on networking and the other places that you're going that aren't actually profit generating. Yep. That speaks to a a conversation that I have actually quite frequently with with many of my clients, right? And there's a stigma for being a small business, right? In that lifestyle business, right? And And I tell people that bigger is not necessarily better, right? As soon as you start hitting into like step costs, right? And then when you start bringing on employees, right? That great money that you were making as a smaller business with maybe less revenue had a bigger profit margin. But once you start growing the business, now that profit margin gets squeezed and squeezed. So you have to do maybe five times as much volume of business to do the same amount of profit that you were making as a solopreneur. We have to sort of remove the stigma from 
uh, people's perceptions of what is a lifestyle business, right? Help them enjoy that so they don't have to feel compelled to grow a large business. I mean, 95% or I think it's 95%, right? Of businesses never make it beyond a million dollars, right? So, but there's a lot of healthy people making nice profits and nice lifestyles based on that, right? agree with you. And I think you also get those weird pressure points where people say, well, you should have an office front instead of working from home because that ends a different kind of legitimacy. And it's also one of those things that just gets you weirdly off track when you're a solo. Oh, yeah. I always admired the people that had these virtual offices, right? These people that, you know, they would set up in, in a Starbucks or whatever. They're running a great, successful business and they're not tied to being in the same place all the time, right? Um, maybe I'm an outdoors person. Maybe it's just because I like some variety, but I always, I always thought that was fantastic. And now with all of the COVID issues and people not, I think virtual businesses are becoming much, much more uh, an accepted reality, right? Yeah, definitely. So as you know, we're here to help our listeners grow their businesses gracefully. How and what should they be looking to uncover in their data? I think there are the standard things that every business needs to pay attention to, like cash flow. Once you move beyond that, I think what you really need to be doing is going back to your business strategy and making sure that that's up to date with your up to date business vision <laughs> and then breaking that strategy down into actionable metrics. Those things that are not only measurable, but actually give you some clues again for what you should be doing next. I think it's easy to make your data busy work. So I would rank those strategies in terms of the importance of the ones that are important and make the biggest impact to your business success down to the least impact. Yeah. In order, I would start playing this rephrasing game with each one of those strategies. And this can be tough, but basically what you wanna do is play around with rephrasing, rephrasing, rephrasing until you get to a statement that's actually something that's not only measurable, but that helps give you those clues. Like, do I need to do more of this, less of this, change how this tactic is working to get me back on track with this goal? Yep, that's great. I think also a lot of our customers, they they don't necessarily know the, the difference between like a leading indicator and a lagging indicator, right? And how do we prioritize the things that are really going to be important for us to make decisions coming up, right? Our leading indicators, right? Our metrics, right? Versus our, our key performance indicators, right? To, right? to make sure that we're prioritizing the right data because we can make some really bad decisions, right? With some bad data. No, I think you can. And I think some of this, people assume that, you know, we can just adopt these metrics from someone else and magic will happen. But a lot of those things like your leading indicators emerge over time. Yes. So the more you can start tracking that data and get that own history for yourself, the better off you are in figuring out what your leading and lagging indicators are. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Um, do you do, do you, how do you, rec do you recommend dashboards and how do you go about that with individuals? I love dashboards. <laughs> <laughs> so I think when what you want is a timely insight, um, you probably need to put together some sort of dashboard. And there are various guidelines for doing this, but basically um, you're setting up a context. And again, it goes back to those clues. What are those breadcrumbs that you need to be tracking around a decision? That dashboard should also be very decision-focused and action-focused, where these are all the little pieces I need to know about in order to make an informed decision or to factor this into my decision. Because not everything that happens, happens because of your data. You've got all these life experiences and everything else that you're factoring in 
and things that you're reading and other people's perspectives and things that you think have worked for other people. And all of that comes into place. So that dashboard's a factor. Now, you can go overboard with the yeah. context on that dashboard, right? So if it doesn't fit in a single screen, it's too much. Hmm. Like if we asked you to now list off the top of your head without cheating, all of the different things that you said <laughs> about contractors and solopreneurs and gig workers, how many could you list in order? And in that same way, your dashboard and your data can overwhelm. So the dashboard is a way that you're supposed to be curating and simplifying. And part of that can be just taking that stuff into Excel or Power BI or whatever your favorite tool is and just start putting together charts. Get a sense for what is actually going to help you be that assistive tool. Play around. It's not one of those things that has to be fossilized and set in stone. This is the dashboard forever. You don't like a piece, you change it. You don't like a chart type, you change it. You don't like the way that you're displaying that data or even now collecting that data because you realize it would be better this other way. Well, now you change it. And so it's this really cool innovative tool for you as well to be able to look at that and be like, are the things that I'm paying attention to, the things that I need, or do I now change my data collection, my data formats, you know, all of that stuff. And the dashboard is a tool for that. Yeah. I like uh, also what you said about bringing your other experiences, right? I, uh, I love dashboards to help just business owners just start getting comfortable with numbers, but also it gets them living inside their business and just getting that rhythm, right? So that when things don't start looking right, they may get that unsettled feeling, right? They may not be able to, it's the, something in the number doesn't make sense. They, they, they've already established an understanding in the rhythm of their business because they look at these dashboards from week to week. Small variations now start unsettling feelings that they may not have otherwise, it might've gone months and months or a quarterly report, or maybe even an annual, right? Before they start, oh my God, we got to go backwards. So uh, I love that how you put in the other experiences that we make dashboards are part of, right? Right. And I think in that same way, if you need to communicate that to someone else, like this number is going wonky and we need to pay attention to this, you now have something that's more aesthetically pleasing than some words or just, you know, a panic attack in somebody's office to help convey that we've got an issue here. Yeah. Dashboard as an emotional intelligence tool. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just look. Just look. <laughs> All right. Um, we like to help our business owners avoid pitfalls. So um, what piece of advice do you wish that as you were growing your business, you would have liked to have received um, that would have avoided a misstep or a slight detour? So I really, really, really wish that someone had told me to diversify either in terms of my service offerings or the number of companies that I was serving because markets change and whole management structures sometimes change inside a company. And both of these things can really leave you in a lurch. Wow. And if you've diversified in the right way, then when these changes happen, it's not going to be the case necessarily that every single part of your business is affected the same way. So then hopefully you've got some revenue stream to sort of get you through that period where you're adjusting to that change. And I'll caveat that <laughs> if you diversify too much, no one can figure out what you do anymore. <laughs> and you've also got to make sure that you're scoping all of that diversification within your capabilities. 
Yeah, that's the magic. That's a magic sweet spot between niche and having plan B and plan C, right? That, uh, um, you know, the, the, the one business that where all of a sudden it goes away and you don't have a business anymore, right? But like you said, you're diluted in your message, especially in the marketing, right? You know, people don't know what you are. So that's a, that's a great piece of advice. How did you find that balance, right? I found it a little bit through spray and pray <laughs> because, <laughs> because I was actually working with a Fortune 500 that had become pretty much my primary client. And it was so lucrative and so steady, not with a single department, but with all of the departments and all of the campuses that were involved in that because they had multiple locations, not only throughout the country, but throughout the world, that it was a steady stream. And I got stuck by the management consulting thing. So now I was like, well, now that I'm actually here in Buffalo, what sticks here? And so part of that was also learning the local market, unfortunately, while I was being faced with this other type of lurch in my business. It was down to my core capabilities. What am I really good at? It's figuring out really other people's chaos and how you can form that more into something structured and ordered and strategic. I figured out how to actually more strategically build from that. So not so much the spray and pray, but I was, you know, I started thinking more once I stopped panicking, you know, how do I go back and build off of those things in a way that makes sense? And I made a standard operating procedure for it because I love a good SOP. And it kept me in line with my vision and kept me in line with my strategies to have that sort of checklist to go through and be like, does this new thing make sense for me? Does this new format of this same service make sense for me and my business and my brand? Yeah, very nice. Um, I love the term spray and pray. That's like that. <laughs> it's so much better than trial and error, right? It, it right. It's fantastic. It really captures the essence of what's happening in a way that trial and error still seems a little bit more structured than actually really ever happens. And, and, and as an entrepreneur growing your business, that's that's a really great. It's like, I have no idea. Let's just shoot it out there and see what happens, right? Right. That's great. I love it. Um, all right. So to close this out, um, what is something that you would recommend to business owners who want to begin scratching the surface of wrangling the data out of their business. And I love that term, by the way. Thank you. So it sounds so active and it actually is. I think sometimes we think data just comes to us or magic will happen. And so really beware of these traps where you think artificial intelligence or buying the right tool is actually going to be the thing that like magically transforms everything. And now things are just easy because that's not a thing. Right. And so you've really got to go back to thinking about what you need. And again, you're going back to your business vision and your business strategies as drivers for your data strategy. And think about this in terms of use cases, those things where you say, I need to use data so that I can do X or know X. And you start working backwards from there. So what data do I need for this thing that I need? Right. And do I have the data for that or do I need to collect it? When that's being collected, is it labeled in such a way that the people entering that data think it means the same thing that everyone else think it means when they pull it out to do analyses and other things? If you're not sure even where to start with a use case, feel free to Google and see what other software packages are doing with things in your industry. Open up a spreadsheet and make some columns for those things that resonate with you 
and start filling it in. If you have employees or other people that are going to be working with your data and touching that data, make sure they're involved with that spreadsheet process and that other kind of discussion to make sure that all of the data that everyone needs all the way along the line is being captured and captured in the right format so that it's usable. Beware of issues of data governance as you're doing this, things like access issues. Who needs to access it and when and how? And who's not supposed to be able to access that? And if you've incorporated something like a subscription service for access to a data set or access to some software that you subscribe to, make sure you've accounted for that in your use case in case that subscription goes away, because I feel like these things are popping up and then popping out really quickly lately. Always feel free to reach out. If you're not sure how to take that business vision to a business strategy, to actionable metrics, or you feel like there's just this one tweak, but you have no idea, you know, reach out to me, reach out to someone else, reach out to other solopreneurs. Somebody somewhere has probably dealt with this or has some thoughts on it. So you're not alone, even if you're a solo. Yeah, I, I think the reaching out part is, is incredibly important, right? You really help people in, the, in those businesses be better and be really as good as they can be in those positions without having to go out and find a whole nother position, right? They only need yeah. like a couple hours a month or a week or whatever the, whatever the data needs are, right? But that you really go in and there and help preserve those individuals that really help those, that those businesses get to where they are without having to replace people that are more data oriented now that you want to go learn more about and use data more importantly, right? Right. And you don't always need to have somebody full-time on staff. Right. right. And so it's always important to keep that on mind. Sometimes you just need that little, little assist. Yeah, I agree. Um, how do you find the qualities? I know we're sort of going beyond a little bit, but how do you, how do you find the qualities in the people that you're in when you go to the organizations that are really the attention to detail? I know there's certain um, stereotypes that we have, but I found that sometimes odd personalities or things that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to people that are really great data mongers, they sort of pop out, right? And they're, they're really the best people to start managing and wrangling that data. Right. And so I look for those people that are um, doggedly detail-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't mean that they're boring or horrible to hang out with. But even in small conversations, they notice things and they're comparing things and they're inferring things. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about data per se, but you know they can be then suited to those things. If they have those other types of interests, they like to watch things like poll numbers, hmm. you know, stuff like that, they could be that person that you tap. Yep, I agree. I also like the, um, the individuals that are very, very broad, right? Because then they start making connections between data points that you would never ever have have thought about it and and they maybe they have a wide range of activities inside their in their companies right and they can start pulling out the relationships between data points right no and i, I think that's things. actually a fantastic point and i think a lot of times in data people think that you've got to be this nerdy little scientist with this really narrow focus and mm. i think you're exactly right that it's the breadth and the transference that actually makes you capable of making those insights. And I think analytics is inherently creative in trying to figure out how to actually put these things together. And it's a communication tool. And if you're into things like creative storytelling, yeah. you know, maybe you end up helping people with the dashboards and everything else, because actually it's another way of telling the story of your business. That right? is a Great point. I never thought about the pe the person that's a great storyteller can take that scatter graph, which looks like a scatter graph, and then create a whole narrative around it that 
those that's excellent, right? And then you're really actually translating that into into the into the everyday user, right? Like people words. Yeah. People words, right? <laughs> uh, well, that is a great way to close this out. So this has been fantastic. And thank you very, very much. So and thank uh, you so much for having me. Again. Always, no, I, I'm always honored to have my guests, really, because this is fantastic. If you want to learn more about Blue Designs, uh, you can find Barbara at www.bluedesigns.com. Yep. And if you want to learn more about what we do, you can find us at slcadvisorygroup.com. And of course, if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of our content, hit the subscribe button, excuse me, when you do, and we'll let you know when our next episode comes out. And we'll see you again next month. And thank you again, Barbara. This has been great. Thanks.